All right, welcome back to the Act Two podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And today we have a special guest. A very special guest, Joe Russo, writer, producer, most recently writer of Hard Kills, starring Bruce Willis, came out on August 28th. It has an 81% Rotten Tomatoes score, Joe. I don't know if you knew that. It has an 81% fan score <laughs> i mean same thing an audience, an audience score you're being you're being very generous uh i think you're i think you're missing the other the critic score there but, but we'll leave that we can leave that out <laughs> it's a joe movie why don't for, you it's a movie for the fans yourself. it's a movie for the fans uh That's right. well yeah exactly um well my as you said my name is joe russo uh i am not the captain america avengers joe russo so i probably Wait, just what what? Oh no! Josh, did you do this? Oh, no, no, I didn't know. Oh no! Is this, this a giant mix-up? Oh no! We just we just lost all of your listeners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm the other guy. Uh, sometimes they refer to me as the horror guy. Uh, but we're going to talk about an action movie today, so I'm going to even throw that like out the window. But uh, wow! But yeah, yeah. Well, well for- give us give us your little IMDb then. Like, where where are you coming from? If you're the horror guy, but you did an action, what is, what does your your resume look like? So, uh, well, I as you said, I'm I'm a I'm a writer, director, producer, and I got my start. I'll give you the truncated bio because we could probably do a whole podcast just on the backstory. But uh, <laughs> I I grew up on the East Coast. Uh, I moved out to Arizona. Went to college in Arizona State. Um, while I was there, I, I, I got involved with the film club and they were in the process of petitioning to start a film school and we were successful. Uh, so I decided to stick around and get a second degree in film. And while I was there, I started working in production. Um, my first movie I ever worked on was the Peter Berg movie, The Kingdom with Jamie Foxx and Jennifer Garner. Um, I watched them drop a bunch of cars out of the sky and blow things up. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> uh, then I worked on a bunch of low-budget indie commercials, industrials. And I was like, this isn't as exciting as narrative movie making. But, uh, you know, I ended up working in production for about four years out there. Um, in 2010, the state brilliantly killed their tax incentive, which essentially killed their entire film industry. And I had to move out to Los Angeles, uh, which Welcome. is where we all are socially distanced from each other. Um, <laughs> and uh, so when I got out here, um, I, I got an internship at a development company reading scripts. Um, my wife was still in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I started driving back and forth every week uh, on the weekends. Oh yeah, it was a I lot. Um, I killed that car over the course of 10 months. Oh, but, but that's that's love. That's love. That's I was love. just going to say. That's love. She, would, she would tell you, though, that I came home to see the dog. Uh, <laughs> and that might be somewhat true. Half uh, true. <laughs> half true. <laughs> uh, and so I got I got a job working for that that production company. Uh, I became the, the producer's assistant. He made X-Men, Wild Wild West, uh, Grandma's Boy. Um, whole bunch of movies, mostly a '90s producer, um, and I I was at that company for five years. Um, I started as an assistant. I worked my way up to creative executive, and then I worked my way up to director of development. Uh, and the whole time, I was reading lots and lots of scripts, as you do when you work in development. 
and I was working with, you know, some really great uh, senior writers, you know, like people like Ken Nolan, who wrote Black Hawk Down and Joe Michael Straczynski. And I mean, a whole slew of like really cool people. Uh, and I was working with some really great young emerging talent too. Uh, people who would go on to get on the blacklist and sell all sorts of cool things. And, uh, and, and quietly, you know, in, in the evening hours was, uh, you know, toiling away on my own scripts, um, as, as we do when you first yeah. went out mm-hmm. to Los Angeles. And, uh, when I left that job in 2015, um, I landed a manager probably within two or three months of leaving. Oh, wow. Um, and then the next year I signed with Gersh. Uh, well, and hey, Gersh. Yeah, yeah, I, Gersh. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Gersh. Can I ask <laughs> how, um, uh, how did you get your manager? That's a really interesting story. And I, you know, it's so funny. I think that we all have uh, weird, how did we first get our rep stories? Um, yeah. There was a commercial director who I met with uh, in my probably last month of level being a level one, the production company. And uh, he was a, he, he had done a bunch of car commercials and he liked horror and the spec that we ultimately signed with our manager off of was called road rage. And Mm. I was like, Oh, he might like this and I can slip it to him without, you know, risk of exposing it, you know? Uh, and so he read it and he called me and he was like, I love the script. I want to direct it. And me having, you know, my development hat on, I was like, well, of course you do. You're a first time commercial director and you're dying to direct anything. Uh, so, but how are we going to get it made? And he said, well, I have a meeting coming up with Platinum Dunes, Michael Bay's company. Uh, can I pitch it to them? And I was like, yeah, of course you can. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. He doesn't know how he's made. Yeah, and it was um, uh, the exec there, Aaron Janis, read it and uh, liked it. And he was the one who slipped it to uh, the, the guy who had become my first manager. Um, so it was, it was just a completely organic thing where one person liked it and handed it to another and handed it to another. And then I got a phone call out of the blue from somebody I've never met saying, I love your writing. I want to meet to talk about signing you. And, you know, I did some, some background checks and found out he was <laughs> legit and, uh, you know, away, away we went. Interesting roundabout way, but yeah, it's always through someone you kind of know and it takes you in this weird path. So that's cool. Yeah, I mean, and that's when, you know, when people ask me that question, how do you, how do you get a rep? I say, I mean, it's that, it's that cross, that's that intersection between networking and mm-hmm. having the right piece of material, you yep. know? And, and I think if you really boil down just about anyone's, how do they get a rep story? It probably, that's probably the answer to both, you know, questions. Uh, yep. So, so um, no, and then, and then, uh, you know, when we wrote our next spec, uh, which would be the first one that we would get on the, the blood list and the hit list and the young and hungry list, uh, that, that was the one that got assigned with Kirsch. And away we went. Uh, we got on the blood list three times, um, wow. which is, which is the, I think the most, yeah. And thank <laughs> well, thank you. And uh, with three different scripts and um the blood list, you know, by that, the way, for anyone who doesn't know, is is a list of the best horror scripts of that year. So to make it on three times, to make it on one time is exceptional. So 
Thank you. Joe, I really, congrats. I really appreciate that. Thank you. No. And, and, uh, and that really changed things, you know, because then I went from being, you know, cause there's always a stigma with executives when they turn writer. Um, and, and because usually it's like, oh, it's what the executive's doing when they got laid off, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> he fancies himself job. a writer now. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I think that really helped kind of prove, especially the first, the first time. And then, and then by the third time, it was just like the hat trick was just, uh, they were like, okay, Joe, we get it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you've proven yourself. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's kind of why people call me the horror guy. And then also the first movie that a capital P produced, uh, was a horror anthology called Nightmare Cinema, which just came out last year. And it was the number two movie on Shutter last year and certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It was, so I guess the combination of Nightmare Cinema and getting on the blood list, and then I just directed my first movie, which was a thriller. I think that's kind of how I became known as the, the horror Joe Russo. Whew, that was a long, long answer. <laughs> all right. So we're not going to talk about horror Joe Russo today at no, all. That's no, going to be another not. day, I think. <laughs> I wanted to know. We're going to talk about 90s action Joe Russo. <laughs> 90s action Joe Russo. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I really do want to know about uh, horror Joe Russo at some point. Um, but tell us about Hard Kill. First, like, what is the log line, basically? Um, who's in it? And then just start at the beginning. Like, how did you get the idea for Hard Kill or how did it come across your desk? Okay, so there's there's a long and windy twisted story to that. But let's start with the basics. So uh, Hard Kill, the movie, uh, is about a group of private military contractors who are hired by this Apple-like CEO, uh, played by Bruce Willis, uh, to accompany him on this tech scout uh, to a potential tear down factory location. And unbeknownst to them, uh, he is the target of a uh, internationally renowned terrorist who has stolen this piece of technology from the chapter house CEO. And the only way he can unlock it is by getting to the chapter house CEO and getting this access code. Um, so essentially what happens is it becomes a, a kind of like a tower defense movie, like a, a, you know, assault on precinct 13 kind of movie where, uh, our heroes are stuck in one location and they're surrounded by a lot of heavily armed badass dudes with big guns. And they've got to try to, uh, you know, protect, protect the flag, which is Bruce Willis. Um, the twist he is a I national guess, treasure. Yes. Yes, he is. Um, <laughs> yes, he is a national treasure. Uh, and but uh, but the twist to the formula, I guess, is what what we don't know until they're there is one of the reasons they had to set it up this way is because the partner, this international terrorist, has Bruce Willis's character's daughter and is using her as leverage. So it's a little bit rescue mission and it's a little bit uh, protect Bruce Willis. There's so many little tropes in there from like nineties action it's, movies. It's all it's all the tropes. And how how do we get to the tropes is is why why we're here. Uh so to give you some context, I guess, and backstory of how this came Yeah, together, how did it start? So it it actually started in 2015, believe it or not. Uh and I was homesick from my development job with the flu. <laughs> and as all good stories start. <laughs> uh, and I was on social media 
and I saw this sizzle reel for this project called Open Source. And the guy who shot it uh, does, he's like, he's a wonderful photographer who, Tasha, I think you're familiar with. His name is Clayton Haugen. I'm a huge fan. If you guys don't know him, find him on Instagram. His stuff is awesome. Yeah, at Clayton Haugen, H-A-U-G-E-N, I believe. Uh, and it is. And, and his, and so, I mean, he shoots like women with like guns and helicopters and Humvees. And I mean, it's just the beautiful stuff. It looks like Michael Bay shot it, you know? And I said, I got to meet this guy and find out if there's a script for this thing. And so I reached out to him. I got in touch with him and we had a mutual friend. And I said, Clayton, do you have a script? And he said, I do. I said, can I read it? And he said, I, here. And I read it, and it was unreadable. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, so I said, you know, I still had my development hat on at this point. And I said, why don't I pair you up with a writer? Because I had yet to sign with anyone mm-hmm. and wasn't ready to reveal myself in that way just yet. I said, Were you still I... working at that production company at, at the time? One. Yes, I okay. was. I was. And uh, so I said, let me let me pair you up with this guy, Nikolai Frum, uh, who I had read this really cool action spec and had a great general meeting with. And Nikolai saw the video and was like, this is awesome. So we collaborated on a pitch. And when I left level one and was independent for the first time, it was, it was the first thing, first piece of material I took out as a pitch, as an independent producer. And we took it to town. And what we did was we took that sizzle reel that he had and we cut it down into uh, a 30 second spot. And we sent it out via email and said, do you want to see the rest? And everybody said, yes. I don't think I've ever had so many yeses to a pitch. Uh, And we pitched it everywhere. Um, And we ran up to the same problem every time, which was Nikolai hadn't been produced yet. And Clayton was a first time director. And almost nobody wanted to take that gamble. Um, We did find one deal, which, you know, would have been like a non-union kind of advance option type of situation for Nikolai, which, you know, would have been his first payday. Yeah. Uh, So I thought it was, I thought it was exciting. When you say when you take took it out to the town, are you talking about major studios like Warner Brothers, Universal? Are you talking about producers who have development money? Yeah, we went to we went to producers. Um, we're, we were hoping that either a they would want to take it to their buyers that they had deals with, or if they had their own development money, that they would pay for the script. Uh, gotcha. The the opportunity landed on there was a, a friend of mine who's an independent producer who was willing to put up the cash for an advance option, and then we were gonna develop it with imagine that was the original kind of deal um and i thought that was a really cool opportunity uh nikolai did not um (laughs) the idea in that case that we're going to give you the option and that's your writing fee essentially to write that was that was the idea yeah 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 so what ended up happening was at that point in time my writing partner chris and i uh, we had just finished that script that would go on to get us signed at Gersh and, and get on the blood list. Um, and we were looking to figure out what we were going to write next. So I went to Clayton and Nikolai and said, 
I'm going to option this thing for you for a dollar and I'm going to write it, you know? And, uh, and so that's what we did. So that's why uh, on the movie, it says screenplay by Joe and Chris, and it says story by Clayton and McLeod. Well, let's pause there for a second. How okay are they with this suggestion of yours? They weren't going to do anything with it. So, you know, Clayton was of the mindset of, I want to try to get this done. You know, and Nikolai wasn't going to write it. So Nikolai was like, go with God. You gotcha. Know? Um, so, so it was fine. There was no like, uh, and, you know, we did, we did the, the WGA split of they got, 25% and we got 75%. Uh, so there was no, you know, it was just very easy and clean. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris and I write it. Uh, and I suppose we should get into what the original script was about now, because it's very different than the movie that got made. Interesting. Um, well, what was the, the sizzle reel about? So the scissor reel had had to do with what the original script was about, which was, it's going to sound a little similar at the start, but it gets very different. Uh, it was about a group of private military contractors who were hired by an Apple-like CEO of this company called Chapter House to be played by someone like a Bruce Willis. Um, and But to go to an Eastern Bloc country to retrieve this stolen piece of technology. Gotcha. Um, and when they get there and they get boots on the ground, they realize that this piece of tech uh, isn't just any old artificial intelligence program. It is a fully functioning Android that is running this country's government. Whoa. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I always thought it was a really cool situation to put a you know, action hero lead who's used to using his fists and guns to solve problems against an artificial intelligence that is so smart and complicated uh, and and watching those two go head to head, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was what excited me about it. And, you know, I think at the time when we pitched this, everyone thought it was cool, but President Obama was still around. And I think the idea of a government run or a government run by artificial intelligence sounded silly. silly. Yeah. Now I think if we took that idea out, we would have a completely different reaction. Interesting. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't want to get too political, but I think you can <laughs> read between the lines. Uh, so, so we wrote that version of the script. And uh, what happened was, we signed with Gersh and as I'm sure you guys know, and at some point we'll, we'll talk about, and maybe you already have a little bit, I guess in the last episode when we were talking about specs is sometimes you get pigeonholed and you get kind of branded in a particular genre, you know? And when Gersh signed us, they signed us under the auspices of, well, they're horror guys and we're going to, we're going to brand them as such, you know? My short films were horror. The spec we signed with our manager was horror. The spec that we signed with our agent was horror. Uh, that that seemed to be the direction we were heading. And they were like, what else you got? And we we're like, an action script. <laughs> and so they both kind of looked at it like, what are we going to do with this? Yeah. You know? 
were you thrown off at all by that reaction? I mean, disappointed maybe, but I think mm-hmm. I'd been around the development world long enough to know that agents and managers want to spend usually a good amount of time pushing one spec in one direction. And yeah. so I was like, okay, well, we'll wait a little while and, and maybe I'll bring it up in generals, you know? Uh, Clayton did not love the idea of waiting because he'd already waited, you know, so long to get Nikolai and then so long to get a draft. Um, and kind of by happenstance, because Clayton lives in Arizona, he walked into a Kentucky Fried Chicken and he saw the producer, Randall Lemon. Now, if you had put a gun to my head, <laughs> I would not have been able to tell you what Randall Emmett looked like. Uh, <laughs> but the reason Clayton knew is because Randall's assistant, then just promoted to development exec, Alex Eckert, went to high school with Clayton. Ah. Yeah. Wow. Yes. So Clayton went up to Randall and said, I know your development exec. Mm-hmm. I have an action script. <laughs> and this is insane. Rand- this is insane. I know yeah. it's 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 bananas. Uh, so so uh, Randall said, "Well, send it to Alex," and he did. Two weeks later, I was in a meeting with Alex, and they wanted to pick it up, and they wanted to push it through their you know low budget window with with Lionsgate Grindstone, and. I mean, months after the lawyers finished the deal, it was 2017 by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we closed and we were away we went. Um, so that's that's kind of that's how that's how we sold it. That was the initial genesis of the project and how it sold, which is just so random. <laughs> it is so random. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Those stories always really frustrated me when I was coming up with the business because I was like, well, you can't replicate that. How am I supposed to follow in your footsteps? Well, <laughs> am I supposed to just go into a bunch of KFCs till I recognize someone? <laughs> I know. It's just it's bananas. It, you know, it's really funny too. The first time we sold Soulmates, um, we had a very similar situation. I, I, we won't go off on too much of a tangent on it, but it is a funny story. Um, I was uh, with my friend, Matt Rutler. Uh, who I was working with through his production company, MX, uh, with his wife, Christina Aguilera, at the time. Um, And we were at Lionsgate. We were at Lionsgate. And he saw his neighbor, who is the producer of the Saw movies. Mm -hmm. And we went over and we said hello. And as we walked away, Matt said, gosh, you know, I really wish we had a horror script that we could send to Mark. And I said, you know, it's funny. I just signed with Gersh off this thing called Soulmates. And Matt stops and he turns around and across the lobby at Lionsgate, he goes, hey, Mark. And he's like, yeah, Matt, I got a great script. I'm going to send it to you. (laughs) Mark goes, okay. And then Matt turns back around to me and goes, better be good. <laughs> and that is how I sold my first script. Oh my uh, god, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, just stick next to you and then buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, 
to be fair though, that, that movie is still, still kicking around and we're still trying to get it made. So uh, I don't know how, how lucky that is, but uh, it was, it was pretty, pretty wild at the time. That's awesome. I think that's that's incredibly lucky. And yes, you <laughs> you seem to be in the right place at the right time. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, so anyway, long story short, uh, we got into the nitty gritty of development with Emmett Furla and this uh, exec at Lionsgate Grindstone named Ryan Black, who who I really like. I, I had really good experience with both Alex and Ryan uh, developing the script, and you know I actually feel like the um, the script took a couple steps forward in the initial drafts working with them. And how many drafts would you say you did off of their notes once you sold the script? So, so the fun part is uh, it was a non-union deal. So, you know, we got, we got beat up a little bit in the rewriting of it all. But uh, I, think, I think by the time they agreed that the script was good and ready to be put into their queue of movies, because through this deal they were doing like three low budget movies a year um i think it was probably about maybe i would say two and a half passes okay um, but they weren't huge rewrites they were like they were they were all kind of you know work on characters bumping up some action sequences uh finding out a way to give the character they identified for bruce to play um you know, some, some, some gunplay, uh, and some action scenes for him. You know, we added in a, uh, a daughter for our main character to just kind of heighten the emotional stakes. Um, so there were, I like, that's why I said, I, I feel like we actually made some good steps forward working with them and it was great. And we were all happy with the script and, you know, it, it basically went into the queue. And I think the, the rub was, there were a couple pictures that were ahead of ours and I think they were cheaper and simpler to make because ours had special effects and lots of locations and uh, you know, an Android at the, at the center <laughs> of the story. Um, right. it, I felt like they always found some other thing that needed to go first and we got kicked out like another three to six months. Interesting. Yeah. And so time just went by, you know, I went, I went and I made Nightmare Cinema and, and then I went and, you know, wrote and directed uh, the all pair nightmare in, in that time too. Oh, wow. And uh, it wasn't until last summer that I was in the middle of editing the all pair. Uh, and I got a call from Emmett Furla and they said, guess what? You're next. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, <laughs> you jumped the Finally. line. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's crazy. And they were like, yeah. They were like, but we are moving it into a new deal with a new distributor. Um, and we need to do some rewrites for production. Okay. Now, at this point, you don't have to give numbers, but I'm curious. You said it was a non-WGA deal. Had they given you enough money to at least like live for the time that you were writing this or are you like having to constantly find other work or work another job while you're doing these rewrites for this, this pass? This was not anything that was sustainable or livable during that period of time. Yeah. Oftentimes non WGA deals are 
it's not, it's very nice to have something, but it's never enough to really get you through. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So they want you to do rewrites, um, to, to go into production. You start to do those. And is it heavy lifting at this point or, or not? Well, so, so at first it sounded like it was going to be, you know, a simple slimming it down to make it work for this budget. And so I went in and I met with, uh, the guy they hired to direct it, Matt Eskandari, who I think did, given the fact that he had, you know, uh, two weeks to shoot this movie, okay. um, I think he turned nickels into dimes for these guys, and or maybe even dollars, depending, you know. Uh, I mean, the movie looks really, really good, considering he had no time to make it, and it's got gunplay and stunts and, you know. Well, how um, long was prep at this point, then? Well, so this was this was end of July, end of July 2019, and they didn't start shooting until end of January 2020. Okay. Um, so he had he had a good amount of time to prep, but also like Bruce's schedule kept shifting. I mean, they were going to shoot this in October, and then it was November, and then it was December, and then it was January. Sure. Uh, so so, but at the time, the plan was October. And it was like full steam ahead and we need to have this rewrite by like August 25th. So we have it in time to get it to our foreign sales company for Toronto for the international film festival for their sales market. Gotcha. And you had Bruce Willis attached at this point or the company yes. had, had attached him at this point. Yes. He, he supposedly had read the original script we wrote and, or at least his development exec or agent had, and, and he'd confirmed that he was going to be in the movie. So that's why they hired Matt and they were ready to kind of move. Because Matt had worked with Bruce Willis in the past. Correct. Right. Okay. Yes. Yep. So long story short, (laughs) or I guess maybe long story long since that's why we're here. (laughs) I Uh, love it. (laughs) They they brought me in and they said, we got to slim this thing down to one location. Which, you know. How many locations had you had before that? I mean, probably a dozen. Okay. If not more. (laughs) Maybe oh, wow. a dozen to, to you know almost twenty maybe. Uh, I mean there was there was you know the bad guys headquarters. There was a power plant. There was uh, the chapter house headquarters. There was the Russian embassy. There was I mean there was all sorts sorts of. It's uh, so interesting that you say this because in my first ever pitch in this business, it was to Blumhouse, the horror um, center of our world right now, right. and yes. it was it was. They wanted to do a very low budget horror movie. And I had no comprehension of how to kind of pitch around budget, nor did I necessarily know what their budget target was. So in after my pitch, they said, well, this is our budget. How do you think you can fix the story so that it takes place in two rooms? And I was like, what? (laughs) I have no no idea. Like right now you want me to do that? And I did not get the pitch because (laughs) I think I failed them in that moment. Um, So it's a very real thing to have to think about smaller budgets and have an answer ready. Well, and the great thing was I had just gone through the off-air nightmare experience, which was, you know, we had to make that movie. When when the producers said, hey, uh, we want to give you a movie to direct, you just have to come up with a story that is a female-driven thriller, and it has to be something we can shoot in 14 days, and it has to be something that we can shoot for a very low budget. So we were familiar between... You know, a couple of our bloodless scripts were one location pieces. The Au Pair Nightmare was essentially built around one location. 
Um, so we were kind of, at this point, it was kind of like, okay, that's old hat for us. You yeah. know? So I said to the execs and the director, why don't we, since we only have probably one shot at doing this, I was like, why don't we do a treatment and, you know, we'll, we'll lay out exactly how we see it reshaping into one location and everyone can sign off before we go and start the draft. And we did that step. That's and a great idea. Yeah, I just, I, I really believe in doing that because I think this way everyone can be on the same page before you go off and write. Yeah. You know, I, I try to get, you know, writers that I'm working with as a producer. It's a step that I think is very valuable to do with them. Um, you know, and, and I, I found, I found it helpful in my dealings with execs as a writer. So can I be very nitpicky and ask you if you oh, remember, sure. did you like do bullet pointed list of beats or were these like paragraphs? Like how did you frame it to them so that they could quickly read it, get a grasp on it, not give you too much notes. So you didn't have to do too much rewriting. So you could hop into the script. Like what was, what did that outline I think it was look about, like? It was about a 10 page document if I remember correctly. And I don't usually do bullets because I find that if I do do bullets, it usually leaves too many questions on the table. You know, um, I, I, I tend to find that most executives have trouble wrapping their head around what it could be as opposed to just telling them what you see it as, you know? Yeah. Um, and I find that if I don't leave that to chance, then, it, then there's usually less issues. Uh, so, so they were, they were, um, paragraphs it was, it's a pretty easy read because when i was an exec that was the kind of stuff that i like to read <laughs> nothing nothing was worse than opening a script and seeing giant blocks of text on the first page <laughs> <laughs> it kills you <laughs> oh my god it's the worst uh, whether you're a writer or a producer or anything like it's just it's yeah um so so uh so we, yeah so we took that step we did that we did that we took that week and the, but the problem was I was also editing the off-pair nightmare while this was happening. So I was literally working around the clock between being with my editor all day and rewriting these pages in the morning and night, you know, trying to get it, get it ready to send it over um, with, with my writing partner. And uh, we did. And what we found out was it was a little bit more than just, Making it one location. <laughs> Interesting. What do you mean? I mean, the producers felt that the science fiction elements were going to make this movie too expensive. So they wanted us to find a way to remove the artificial intelligence character from the script. Oh, wow. And so when you get that note, are you just like, fine? Or what was your reaction? <laughs> I think, you know, it was funny. I was, I was pretty beaten down by, we were in the producer's pass on, on the edit on all pair nightmare. And I, I was getting beat up there. And then I was getting, it was literally like, it was just, I think I kind of was at that point, like, okay, you know, because, because it was twofold. One, I think I had, I think it just caught me with my gloves down. And then two, um, I think the other thing was there was just no time, you know, they needed to have a movie and they needed to have it be fit these, these check marks. And I didn't really have time to say, well, let's try this, you know? Right. 
it was kind of more just like we need to give them a movie so that they can go make this movie, you know? Um, and that's how hard kill was born. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, because what I did say to them was if we remove this character, it's an entirely different movie. Uh, and they were like, yeah, we know, figure it out. <laughs> did they have any suggestions for you at that point? Or they just knew what their budget would allow? No, at that point they were, they were kind of in like, we need something ASAP, figure it out. You know, like there was no, there was no other than it needs to be one location. It can't have the science fiction elements. It has to have as few VFX as possible. Oh, and, and Bruce's character now needed to go along for the mission and be involved in it. Um, Just so you could have more Bruce, basically. So we could have more Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something so interesting in just the description of this process at this point, which is that as writers, we tend to go in thinking like, I have this beautiful vision and I'm writing to change the world of cinema or whatever it is. And you get down to it and it's a job and you really have to meet deadlines. You have to meet budget. It's a business. There are people who are, who require you to finish the script at a certain time. And you have to kind of throw away that artsy fartsy stuff you learned in school <laughs> and you get the job done. And I think the best writers are the ones who are able to let go of that and get the job done. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, and, and I think that's kind of how I look at, you know, the process of this as well. It's, you know, it's, you know, I think I said to you when we were first ta talking about doing this podcast, it's not the script that we sold. And, and the movie, you know, even involved from the draft that we ultimately delivered. Um, so it did. It, it felt like it evolved from something that was my baby to the movie they needed it to be. And so that's when I realized the only way it was going to work without the android was if we flipped it from a, you know, a movie where our heroes are infiltrating a space to extract something to a tower defense. Um, and that inversion, once we figured that out, uh, then my love of, I think, just growing up watching, you know, bad nineties straight to video action movies, uh, kind of, kind of helped, you know, You're like I got this, I know exactly I can, what I, this is can, I can figure this out. Yeah. So, I mean, there was, there was points where we were cranking out 30 pages a day. Oh shit. I mean, it was, it was the hardest longest days I've ever spent writing. Because uh, normally, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a three to five pager a day guy. Yeah. You know? uh, so and that's a I good would, day, five pages. Yeah. Oh, that's a great day. I mean, usually it's more like two and a half, three. And I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm spent. <laughs> I'm uh, <tapped. laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, so, but there was no, there was no alternative. You know, it was, it just, it needed to get done. They needed, they needed this movie to go. And, they needed us to deliver. So there was, there was no time to really sleep on it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we turned it in on a Wednesday night and Thursday they started boarding and budgeting it. Wow. <laughs> it was, I mean, that's, was, that's really how I feel like the, the low budget world works. It, it works very quickly once it starts going because they don't have the time to pay for those extra days. Yeah, no, no, it was, it was, it was fast and furious. And, uh, uh, what ended up happening was, and we didn't even know about this until we got on set, which was interesting. So 
uh, you know, we maintained a good relationship with the director and with the producer. And so they said, sure, you know, if you want to, if you want to fly yourselves out for come, come visit. So, uh, you know, we were like, well, this is our chance to go meet Bruce Willis. Uh, we should do that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we, we went for the, the, the Bruce Willis days and, um, it wasn't until we saw the sides that we realized the extent of the director's pass on, on the movie. Um, and you've been told that there's a director's pass. We had not been told there okay. was a director's oh. pass. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Surprise, you get on set and it's like, Surprise. oh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and this, is how we, this is how we found out, which is kind of a funny story. We were talking to uh, the actor who plays Dash, who's kind of the comic relief member of the team. And in our draft, uh, Dash makes it to the end and, and gets the girl. He, he, he gets with uh, Bruce Willis's daughter. Uh, in the movie. And um, so we, we kind of made a comment to him like, Oh, it's cool that like you get the girl in the end. And he kind of looked at us and like, just kind of nodded, oh, you yeah. know? And then he walked away and we're like, that was weird. <laughs> and then we saw the sides the next day and we found out that he got killed like three quarters of the way into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I guess watch the movie before you listen to this. Uh, so, <laughs> So that's how we found out that there were rewrites was because we didn't know. And that's how Dash found out that he was actually the hero of the story. (laughs) Oh, man. I can't even imagine what he was thinking. Either he was like, these guys are crazy and don't know what they're talking about. Or I I can't even imagine what was going through his head. Oh, man. Uh, But it was, you know, it was was a little embarrassing uh, because we didn't know. And then, you know, and then we found out. Uh, So... Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is they were moving so quickly. And because it was a non-union agreement, they didn't have to bring us back. Uh, mm-hmm. And because by that point uh, we had joined the guild, uh, they didn't want to bring us back. Right, like um, you'd be too expensive to, to do a rewrite. We on that. Yeah, we would have changed the entire... I mean, if, the, if they had brought us in to do the rewrites, that, like that production polish that would have made the whole show go WGA, which would have changed the entire pay scale on the writer's side um, and residuals and stuff. And, you know, and they weren't going to do that. So I think it was cheaper and easier to have the director do it. Sure. So were you welcome on set when you were there? Did anyone know who you guys were and were they like, Oh shit. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I I remember George Furla came up to us um, right when we started on the first day and was like, you guys really, you know, saved the day on this one and thanked us for all the work that we did, which that was, I thought was really cool. That's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and Matt was was super friendly and didn't care that we were hanging around monitor and watching. And, yeah, I mean, they let us, like, take photos with the guns. Chris, you know, got got his moment when, you know, we were sitting by Video Village and someone sat down next to us and he turned to us and said, hey, I'm Bruce. And it was like, well, we know who you are. Were you guys like playing it cool? Like, hey. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, hey, I'm Joe. Hey, Chris. Joe whatever. And, and it was it was fine, you know, like it was it was just kind of regular small talk. And then, you know, I think he found out we we're the writers and he was like, oh, okay, and moved on. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and that's how you should expect to be treated as a writer. Yeah, right, yeah. But I mean, all the other cast is great. I mean, I, I really, Jesse Metcalf was really nice and, and he's cool. And, uh, you know, uh, Texas Battle, who has like the ultimate action name. Uh, he played Nick Fox. Um, he was he's awesome. And Ava um, Marie from WWE. Natalie, yeah, Natalie Ava Marie. Uh, <laughs> she's super cool. Uh, she was, su- you know, it's funny. She is actually someone who has been involved with the project since like almost inception because she's oh, wow. friends with she's friends with Clayton. Oh, she gotcha. Did a, she did a photo shoot with him, and so we were always pushing for her to play uh, Sasha. Um, we kind of wrote it with her in mind that's um, cool and, it's cool to yeah. see her in a movie i'm joe and i are pro wrestling fans so it's nice to see wrestlers yes. do that crossover <laughs> yeah you know and and she really like she went to terran tactical and like trained and like weapons handling and stuff like she legit got ready for this role and you can see in how she handles those guns like she looks awesome in it yeah good uh, for her that's awesome um yeah. kind of speaking about sort of onset experience did you since this is your first big action movie um do you feel like you learned anything as a writer in terms of how you're going to write your next action movie if if you didn't get to <laughs> um i don't know like burned by this version <laughs> like do you, <laughs> do you feel like you'd write another action movie and what did you learn um from being on set and actually seeing the practicalities of it all well, you know, I, we had a lot of stunts on Nightmare Cinema. Um, so, I mean, we had people falling off of 30-foot roofs, and we had explosions and guns going off. And so I was already kind of familiar with the slowdown that, you know, comes with any time you pull a weapon out on set and the safety meetings that have to happen and, you know, and all, you know, and it, and it needs to happen because God forbid you don't want like a Brandon Lee situation, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I was already kind of familiar with, with that. And it was something that we definitely had to, that was another thing when we were rewriting that they were like, keep in mind is the action has to be something that can be like simple and fast. And, you know, they were like mostly gunfire down hallways and other characters. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there was a lot of, you know, creative, um, limitations that that were you know were in the sandbox that we had to play with which is fine like i'm i think that's that's where i can be very helpful in terms of having a development background and a writing background it's like okay you've just presented me with a puzzle and i have to see where these pieces fit yeah yeah writing Um, writing practically versus writing creatively in a way (laughs) yeah that's absolutely exactly that's exactly right so i think you know, if I was going to sit down and write an action movie again, I, I, I'd still think I would sit down and write, you know, the bigger, cooler version of the movie because I think inevitably it's always going to get scaled back, you know, unless, you know, a studio does it and you get Michael Bay, right? Yeah. Um, so, so... So shoot for the stars and maybe you'll get the moon kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I think I think that was that was the the hard part about the timing of this, the schedule that Matt had to make the movie was there was only so much we could do, you know, like we couldn't do the fancy gun foo that they do in like John wick where they have these long takes and, you know, this elaborate blocking. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, it just wasn't something that was on the table. So I think, you know, if anything, the experience having watched it and having 
written for the low budget version of it, it's only made me want to write the bigger, better version where we can get more time, where we can get, you know, and hopefully I can take all these low budget skills that I learned and apply them in a bigger way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think we, Josh and I have talked a lot about this on the podcast, but just personally as well, how writers often have to kind of sacrifice their vision um, or even worse, like sacrifice a good story in favor of a lot of factors that just you, you need to, to pay attention to to get the movie made, right? And, and that's always this justification that happens at the development level all the way through, which is, hey, we'll get your movie made if you just do this. And it's mm -hmm. just, it, it chip, starts chipping away at that original vision you had. And actually, our, one of our quote of the days was from Dan Gilroy, who wrote Born Legacy, Nightcrawler, a big, big name in our yeah. business. But he basically said the same thing, that none of his movies that have ever been produced have ever been his original vision. Um, mm -hmm. So like how, since you've been through that process, how would, how do you feel like you process that? Um, and I think what would your advice be to writers who are facing that same choice now or, or down the line in their career? Well, I think, I think there's a couple ways to look at it. Uh, there's plenty of writers, including the Gilroys, who have some movies at the start of their careers that they're not, you know, super proud of, but they got those movies made. And because they got those made, it led to other jobs, which led to the careers that they had, you know? And I think you kind of just have to look at, you know, a movie like Hard Kill as, you know, it was, a, it was, Emmett Furlow makes a product, right? They make a product that has Bruce Willis in it, that sells to a very specific niche audience, and it sells around the world, you know? And, and it's, a, it's a lucrative business model for them. So for them, it's, it's a widget, you know? Uh, for me, it's a movie and it's a movie that can hopefully be a stepping stone towards other movies. You know, uh, Mick Garris from Nightmare Cinema, um, whenever I was getting down during the that last window rewriting process and, you know, watching just the baby go out with the bathwater, he kept saying, but you're writing a movie star movie. And, yeah. that's, and that was the mantra that I kept kind of having to, you know, bang into my head. And, and now that it's out, I keep trying to, you know, remind myself that, yes, it's not the movie we wanted, we set out to make, but we still wrote a movie star movie with, you know, a star who I think to everyone on this call is hugely influential to all of our careers. Absolutely. You know, um, you know I, I try to look at that silver lining uh, and and um, I try to be, you know, recognize that that it will open doors and it's not, you know, I... <laughs> You know, I was like, there, there's some uh, reviews out there that are, you know, a lot of action blog type sites. They really like the movie. And then a lot of critics, I think, have been attacking the business model, you know, how fast these mo movies get made, how, you know, in and out Bruce is with these things. And the, I don't necessarily think, I don't feel like they're reviewing the movie hmm. so much as they're, they're reviewing the business model, which is fine. And, you know, I think because it came out during the pandemic, they have nothing else to do. So it was, it was an, it was an easy one. A to great make critic with nothing else to do, but criticize yeah, exactly. your movie. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I looked at um, the Rotten Tomatoes score for Problem Child, uh, which is currently the same critical Rotten Tomatoes score that we have. Uh, and I was like, you know, Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski are doing just fine. Uh <laughs> You know, they're, they're two of the best writers in the business, you know? So well, I think. What an, what an interesting movie to seek out 
and see yeah. the. Uh, well, I was I was part. looking at a I was looking at a list of other movies that share I our, see. our current critical score, and uh, and I was like, oh, and you know, I I interviewed we interviewed them on on uh, the podcast I produced post mortem, uh, and you know they were talking about Problem Child being like that's not the movie we wanted to make. It's, you know, it's kind of a black mark on our resume, but you know, it, it got us making movies. And because we'd made a movie that made people more receptive to reading our stuff. And then we sold Edward. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's so interesting. Um, I mean, I love problem child. So that's, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I'm sure, and, there's, and there's some people who have really enjoyed hard kill. Yeah. You know, I also think uh, when they changed the title from open source to hard kill in, right before they dropped the trailer, um, I think honestly that just put a big target on our back with the critics. So it just it sounds like a diehard spoof. Uh, it, does. <laughs> it does. I see uh, that now. But it's the perfect yeah. title for the movie that ended up getting yes. produced. Yes, it does. And that, and that's and that's the thing. It's like honestly, like when they changed the title, it helped me kind of further uh I think divorce myself from you know the original mission to it becoming a job. Sure. You know? Uh and because it's 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 now no longer at all the script that we wrote yeah. and set out to me. You know, it's a completely different movie. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the 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 dream has happened for you, Joe. You've gotten your movie made with Bruce Willis, one of our childhood heroes. It just didn't look like you'd expect. But I agree with you. Like it's completely gonna open doors because as we talked about with David Levinson on a previous podcast him making his movie now means he's a produced writer and he's immediately pushed ahead in the line in terms of writers who can get a job done at least in the eyes of producers and buyers so yeah obviously a huge deal i i completely agree i listened to that episode and i i completely you know it's funny dave i think had like the the good non-union writer experience <laughs> on that movie he had a perfect I, experience yeah you know I, I really like welcome home i think it's a terrific little movie um, and, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think you're right. And Dave, Dave and I talk about that a lot too. Um, you know, even after I finished, you know, the off-pair nightmare, or even, even when I finished producing nightmare cinema, every time that's happened, it's made when I walk into a room and talk about a concept or a script or what have you, um, now it's not just hypothetical anymore. Now it's like, okay, how can Joe actually help us shape it into a movie? Um, and I mean, that's, that's what we want. So yeah, I, th I think, I think that bounce, you know, will, will happen. Yeah. Uh, and you know, God willing, the audience score will stay in the eighties. Uh <laughs> I mean, I think what you said is a huge deal, actually. Like I I've never had anything produced. And I think when I go into those rooms, I can have as much confidence as I want, but there is just, there's a different there's a different you're a different writer if you walk into the room having had something produced there's just, i feel like the, the conversation is just different the way they look at you and in terms of a, a potential um like sure sure bet um it's just it's just very different and again like you can have the most confidence in me in the world in terms of creativity but they just don't know if i can produce and and that is something i think we don't realize as we're coming up that there are levels of writer in this business and it's not dependent on how brilliant you are as a writer <laughs> it's dependent on on the business aspect can you get a movie made and at what level so i i think your story is incredibly important i think it really illustrates how this is a business <laughs> I think you're, I think you're right. Um, I also think that, you know, for you and Josh, I, I don't think that's going to be much longer. Like I'm sure, I'm sure you guys are going to be produced very sooner than later. 
Um, God bless you, Joe. And, wow, Joe. Uh, well, no, I, I, I believe oh, it. Go um, on. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I can if you want me to. Uh, <laughs> Need the ego, uh, Joe. <laughs> but no, I, I, I really do believe that. I mean, I, I think uh, you guys are on to such, such cool stuff. And um, yeah, I think, I think there's, a, you're right. I think with everything else, we, you know, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, where, you know, getting your manager first rep is that intersection of being good and networking. And I think that first sale, and you can look at both of my examples of having the right good piece of material and then that networking clicking in and both examples, we could call it luck or we can call it just right place, right time with the right thing. Um, I think moving forward, once you get something made, that's helpful, but you still have to be around good material. You still have to be generating good material. So uh, yeah, you can get something made, but that doesn't necessarily, I mean, I'm sure you guys know plenty of writers who have made little tiny indies that don't get any real distribution and just play festivals and they're in the same rut as they were before it got made, you know? Um, So I think it's, it's the combination of, of getting it made and getting it made in a meaningful way, plus being around a great, piece of material and, and generating that great piece of material. So you guys are generating great material. That's why I said it's just a matter of time before, you know, you get something made and then you'll be bigger and better than me. So Love it, Joe. <laughs> podcast over done. Yeah. <laughs> End, on a high note. <laughs> End on the confidence booster. Um, well, to wrap up, like, can you tell us where people can see hard kill and where they can find you and your, your podcast, which is awesome. Oh, uh, well, yeah. So uh, the the podcast, Postmortem with Mick Garris, um, it's available on all of the, the podcasting places, uh, Apple, all Spotify, the all the things. Um, you can find the socials for that uh, at Mick Garris PM uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, as for me, um, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Russo Tweets, and you can find me on Instagram at Joe Russo Graham. Uh, and the movies, uh, Nightmare Cinema, The Au Pair Nightmare, and Hard Kill, they're all available on Apple, Amazon, um, and Nightmare Cinema is also available to stream on Shudder. Shudder's awesome. All right. Thank you, Joe. It was so awesome to hear this experience and for you to break it down in, in these steps has been so helpful to me and therefore I'm sure a lot of people who have not yet had this experience, um, we can vicariously live through you. So I really appreciate you sharing with us. I was happy to do it. Thanks for having me on and hopefully I'll be back with another one at some point. <laughs> yes, definitely will. <laughs> All right. We're going to end with our quote of the day. Screenwriting is like ironing. You move forward a little bit and go back and smooth things out. Paul Thomas Anderson. Thank you for listening. This episode of the Act Two podcast was edited by Paul Lundquist. Music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Spotify.